Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Getting Lit with Annie and Faye. I'm your host, Annie Doe. And I'm your other host, Faye Chan. And this episode is called Bryony Does Something Bad. A coming of age analysis of atonement by Ian McEwan. Ian McEwan is an English novelist and screenwriter. Born in Hampshire, McEwan spent his childhood in East Asia, Germany, and North Africa, having to move based on where his father was posted while serving in the army. He is known for writing stories that focus on political and family dynamics that act as a commentary for culturally significant periods of the 20th century, like World War II and the Cold War. Despite McEwan's work being contemporary, his writing style is characteristic of the modernist era. McEwan's modernist influence is present throughout the novel as it centers around three characters in their experience in World War II. Specifically, McEwan displays the experiences of people in different classes. There are characters who are rich, there are characters who are poor, there are characters who are young and old, and we all see how they deal with the war and how the war shapes their lives. This is not a light novel. In fact, it is quite cynical. Although it's a war novel, it's also deeply introspective and personal as we deal with the, as we experience the separate characters and their changes throughout the war. So let's introduce the main characters. There's Bryony Tallis, Cecilia Tallis, and Robbie Turner. Bryony and Cecilia are sisters in the Tallis family, a wealthy English family who live in the countryside in relative isolation to the growing war in Europe. All three characters grew up very close to one another despite the age gap. Bryony is currently 13 when the novel begins, and Cecilia and Robbie are in their early 20s, having just graduated from Cambridge University. McEwen skillfully interweaves their perspectives and switches up his prose depending on the, on the, on the traits of each character. For example, Bryony, who's extremely imaginative, dramatic, and prone to overthinking, has very flowery and intricate, beautiful prose. Whereas Robbie, who's very clear-minded, logical, and smart, has straightforward and easy to read, and um, it's very um, concise. Yeah, concise. There's no tricks, and there's no there's no secrets. Everything is as it seems mm-hmm. from his perspective. He's thoughtful and he's intelligent, and he has to be because that's his only way up the social ladder. You see, Robbie Turner is the son of the Tallis family's cleaning lady which puts him in a separate social class from Cecilia and Bryony. Despite this, however, he wins his way in society by being charming and smart. Cecilia is liberal and messy and very direct. She and Robbie grew up as childhood friends. However, after returning from university, they discover that they are in love. Over the course of the summer, Cecilia and Robbie flirt with one another, unleashing a lot of pent-up passion. Bryony witnesses these flirtations and mistakes sexual tension for true aggression. Robbie, realizing his feelings for Cecilia, writes her a love letter and does several drafts. In one, he accidentally expresses his feelings of um, sexual desire, and it's quite lewd and explicit. Bryony reads the letter and is convinced that Robbie is a predator. She imagines herself to be the hero who saves her sister. And when she sees Cecilia and Robbie having sex in the library, she's convinced that Robbie is raping her. And this is all bad enough, except later that night when Bryony's cousin Lola, who's staying with the Talos family for the summer, actually gets raped by another man, Bryony witnesses it and is convinced that Robbie also raped her cousin. She's wrong, of course. Robbie is the classic underdog 
good guy. However, her accusation and witness testimony gets Robbie convicted and put in prison for years to come. Cecilia, who feels betrayed, furious, and heartbroken for the loss of her love and the betrayal of her sister, moves to London to become a nurse and cuts off all ties to her roots. At this point, England gets involved in World War II, and Robbie, after spending a few years in prison, has the opportunity to leave and enlist in the army. Part two of the novel consists of Robbie's harrowing experience in the war, his fight for survival, and his rescue at Dunkirk. Ultimately, he survives the war and is reunited with Cecilia. Years later, Bryony, who is now an adult, realizes the weight of her crime and a false accusation. She follows her sister's footsteps to become a nurse as well, and she finds Cecilia in London to apologize to her and Robbie, they're living together, make amends, and retract her accusation, freeing Robbie. Part 3 of the novel ends with Bryony returning home to tell everyone the truth about her crime. Except that's not actually what happens. There's a final plot twist. Bryony is revealed as the narrator all along, and she confesses that she made up the ending. Like, she makes up everything to give her sister and Robbie a happy reunion. In reality, her sister and Robbie both died in the war, and Bryony lives with the guilt forever. Clearly, in addition to the fact that this novel is devastating and a hard look at the war, it also deals with personal growth. What was interesting about the novel was that we got to explore the psychological aspects of why Bryony perceived and thought the way she did that ultimately led to her horrible crime. There's a distinct difference between 13-year-old Bryony's perspective and 18-year-old Bryony's. You can see flickers of doubt, even as a 13-year-old, that become hard truths to her by the end of the novel. All this is revealed in streams of consciousness which allows for a very cerebral and introspective experience. It's a novel that forces you to think about morality and the nature of truth. And this is the side of the novel we want to focus on, the coming of age side. In this episode, we're going to be focusing on analyzing the psychological and moral development of its protagonist, Bryony, even though she's really in many ways the antagonist to Cecilia and Robbie's love story, which makes her such a compelling character to study. As a 13-year-old, Bryony is concerned with really childish things. She's just beginning to become aware of those outside of herself. Here, I'll be reading a section from page 34. A second thought always followed the first. One mystery bred another. Was everyone really as alive as she was? For example, did her sister really matter to herself? Was she as valuable to herself as Bryony was? Was being Cecilia just as avid, just as vivid an affair as being Bryony? If the answer was no, then Bryony was surrounded by machines, intelligent and pleasant enough on the outside, but lacking the bright and private inside feeling she had. This was sinister and lonely, as well as unlikely. For though it offended her sense of order, she knew it was overwhelmingly probable that everyone else had thoughts just like hers. She knew this, but only in a rather arid way. She didn't really feel it. Nice read. I really liked how you did that. It really shows like her narcissism, not narcissism, but how she's so conceited and silly. I think the section I just read really shows her immaturity like Annie was referring to. She kind of thinks the whole world revolves around her and she's just now realizing that, you know, other people also have profound thoughts just like her. Um, she, she's the she's pretentious, obsessed with creating fantasies, 
and she likes to make things more dramatic than they actually are just for the sake of creating a more compelling and interesting story. Right, and as soon as Bryony starts to consider the importance of other people around her is when she starts to become really dangerous. So after convincing herself that she's discovered something profoundly evil in Robbie, she makes it her goal to save her sister and everyone else around her from his actions. And in this scene, we see, Ro we see Bryony crossing a bridge into darkness and this represents her cross from childhood into adulthood. There was a shrub she did not remember, or rather, she remembered it being closer to the shore. The trees were not right either, what she could see of them. The oak was too bulbous, the elm too straggly, and in their strangeness they seemed in league. As she put out her hand to touch the parapet of the bridge, a duck startled her with a high, unpleasant call, almost human in its breathy downward note. It was the steepness of the bank, course which held her back and the idea of descent and the fact that there was not much point but she had made her decision she went down backward steadying herself on clumps of grass and at the bottom paused only to wipe her hands on her dress so in that read i tried to make my tone a little uncertain at first and then transition to be more decisive and firm in the ending of my sentences uh, this represents Bryony's uncertainty as she crosses into unknown territory and into the darkness. And this scene foreshadows her, her inevitable trap in the lie that she's created around herself and Robbie's accusation. Later in the novel, Bryony explicitly reflects on the weight of her crime after she's realized that she's even committed one. Here's an excerpt from page 160. She would never be able to console herself that she was pressured or bullied. She never was. She trapped herself. She marched into the labyrinth of her own construction and was too young, too awestruck, too keen to please to insist on making her own way back. She was not endowed with or old enough to possess such independent of So in Annie's reading, Annie really emphasized the she's. This really puts weight on the fact that Bryony is the only one responsible for this mess that she's created. And it's also representative of the fact that when we grow older, we have to take full responsibility for our actions. You can't hide anymore behind the excuse of being a child and being too young to know any better. Now we'll be doing a reading from page 318, which is when Bryony confronts Cecilia and wants to apologize to her. She stood where Cecilia had stood, with her back to the sink and unable to meet her sister's eye, said, What I did was terrible. I don't expect you to forgive me. Don't worry about that, she said soothingly, and in the second or two during which she drew deeply on her cigarette, Bryony flinched as her hopes lifted unreally. Don't worry, her sister resumed, I won't ever forgive you. And if I can't go to court, that won't stop me telling everyone what I did. As her sister gave a wild little laugh, Bryony realized how frightened she was of Cecilia. Her derision was even harder to confront than her anger. Bryony pressed on. I'll go to Surrey and speak to Emily and the old man. I'll tell them everything. Yes, you said that in your letter. What's stopping you? You've had five years. Why haven't you been? I wanted to see you first. Cecilia said, I know why you haven't been. Because your guess is the same as mine. They don't want to hear anything more about it. That unpleasantness is all in the past, thank you very much. What's done is done. Why stir things up now? So in that reading, Cecilia was super stern and passive-aggressive. I like how you did that. 
Yeah, thanks. And I think Bryony's tone was also very, very timid. And, you know, in the passage, she does say she was kind of scared of Cecilia, who was almost calm to the point of... Uh, um, I know. It's like when you're so angry, you're calm, and that's even worse than being yeah. explosive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I like that we ended on the line of, like, what's done is done, why change it? Because in this next part, we're going to read Bryony's final reflection after she reveals that both Cecilia and Robbie died and that there's nothing she can do about it. We see Bryony reflect on why she's even writing this novel in the first place if she can't hope to do anything good with it. Bryony poses a rhetorical question. What sense or hope or satisfaction could a reader draw from such an account? Who would want to believe that Cecilia and Robbie never met again, never fulfilled their vow? Who would want to believe that, except in the service of the bleakest realism? The problem these 59 years have been is this. How can a novelist achieve atonement when, with her absolute powers of deciding outcomes, she has also got? There is no one, no entity or higher form that she can appeal to, or be reconciled with, or that can forgive her. There is nothing outside her. In her imagination, she has set the limits and the terms. No atonement for God or for novelists, even if they are atheists. It was always an impossible task, and that was precisely the point. The attempt was all. So despite the fact that, you know, Bryony says that this novel cannot be published until all of the people who are involved in the story are deceased, um, this is really her one way of being able to set the record straight and to make up for her actions in a way by giving Cecilia and Robbie their happy ending in a way that's going to be immortalized. Yeah, and I love that that final line of that she knows that she can't ever make up for what she did, not just because they're dead, but because something that horrible just can't be made up for, even if you are a child. She knows that she'll never be able to fully make up for it, but just because she tried, she knows that there is a way to make things a little bit better. There's also a lot to process there. Well, I don't know. I'm always having fun when I'm with you, Faye. Aw, thank you. So, uh, let's talk about Bryony. Bryony is not meant to be a likable character. In fact, she's intentionally written to be annoying. Uh, yeah, and unlikable, very unlikable. <laughs> but that's so telling in the end when you find out that it's Bryony making Bryony unlikable. You can really tell that, oh my gosh, she hates herself and she'll never forgive herself for it either. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So what does that say about coming of age? I think no matter what happens, like coming of age is something that is so universal. And I think, I mean, obviously none of us, as far as we know, have committed a crime that terrible. Uh, yeah, I was about to say like, um, <laughs> when I was 13, I just like boy bands and drawing. I didn't really like falsely accusing childhood friends of rape, but <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, no matter like what you were like when you were 13, you always look back on that period with a little, with fondness, but also with a little bit of the mindset of, why was I like that? Read. I think I'm just so used to seeing happy endings, or at least bittersweet endings, that when I get a truly sad and bleak ending, I- feel betrayed. I feel betrayed, yeah, I do. Uh, Especially in this way, I mean, when the ending's written to be 
happy and then there's that plot twist you feel it's a little condescending in a way don't you think yeah i i get what you mean i mean how did you feel about that ending well when you first watched the movie because i know you watched the movie before you read the book yeah i i didn't know the twist was coming so yeah i definitely did feel betrayed because for since you guys already know what's going to happen in the book i don't know how many of you will actually pick it up and read it but the movie is very very well made and um i definitely believe that they got their happy ending and then it i cried so much when i when it like came back to the present and they revealed what had actually happened i think the fact that it wasn't a happy ending is essential to creating the theme of the novel that when you make a mistake you can't take it back yeah, you can things, try to things don't fix, fix themselves in At real life yeah in real life how many robbies are there in real life that actually got their happy ending probably not that many right and how many times have we like bryony done something horrible and wished we could take it back you know maybe not to that extent but these are themes and feelings that are recurring every day in all of our lives so yes that gimmicky khaki ending seems cheap but it's realistic because there are so many times where we can play through what could have happened what could have been in our heads but in the end we have to face the reality that you know sometimes things just don't work out we hope you enjoyed this episode we hope you enjoyed this episode yeah be sure to share this episode with all your Twitter friends and support our Patreon. 